Hello and welcome back to Trash and Treasury. We're Grace and Miranda. On Treasury this week, we're going to be talking about cancel culture. Is it fair to call people out online for the shitty things that they've said or done? And for Trash today, we will be talking about dino erotica. That's right. Dinosaur-themed erotica novels. (laughs) It is a thing. (laughs) It was a surprise to us as well, but we will be explaining it. (laughs) So it's uh, bring your wine and bring your lols today. Yeah, we can't wait to share that with you. But first, (laughs) Treasury. So cancel culture was announced as the 2019 Word of the Year by Macquarie Dictionary, which defines cancel culture as attitudes within a community which call for or bring about the withdrawal of support from a public figure, such as the cancellation of an acting role, usually in response to an accusation of socially unacceptable behaviour or comment by the figure. It can also be referred to as call-out culture or outrage culture. Mm. Now, the people that have been cancelled in recent years include, but are not limited to, Alan DeGeneres, Scarlett Johansson, Gwen Stefani, Shania Twain, Taylor Swift, and even The Wiggles. (laughs) So many. (laughs) So there's definitely been some really positive examples of cancel culture in action. So the Me Too movement in particular, with calls to boycott Harvey Weinstein, as well as abusers like R. Kelly, Woody Allen, and Michael Jackson. And also recently this week, there's been a really excellent example of cancel culture in action, with Sam Newman finally being fired. After decades, yes, decades of disgusting comments. Finally, a petition to get him fired worked. Um, The final straw was when he called George Floyd a piece of shit. (gasps) So basically, it's just like he does not deserve a public platform. And that was cancel culture. He said this about George Floyd. Yep, because he had been in jail before. Jeez, <laughs> that is tone deaf if I've ever heard it. An example. Yeah, of that. exactly. He is just a tone deaf dinosaur and definitely not the ironic kind, just the <laughs> gross kind with outdated views. <laughs> and I guess since the rise of social media, cancel culture has really accelerated rapidly because all the stupid things that people do and say online Mm. are right there for everyone to see. And it's also easier to share things online and then really gather momentum. But all that said, cancel culture and public shaming actually is not a new phenomenon. We've been doing it for centuries. So I came across actually a really interesting example from 1742. Wow. Yes. So there's a woman named Abigail Gilpin. And while her husband was off at sea, she was found naked in bed with someone else. And they were declared that their punishment was to be, they were both going to be whipped at the public whipping post, 20 stripes each. Mm. And Abigail was appealing the ruling. And it wasn't because she wished not to be whipped. She was fine with that, but she just wanted to have her whipping before dawn, before everyone in the town woke up. And it was just the public shaming aspect of it that she was trying to get out of. She didn't want to get cancelled in the village. She didn't want to get cancelled in the village, exactly. And so, like, Twitter might be the sort of technology we have today, but this whole, like, mob mentality isn't new. No, it's definitely not. I think the argument is that it's so easily doable to have a mass pile on with technology. So, yes, the whipping at the town square and putting people in the stocks um, were very common olden day punishments because the intention was to humiliate and degrade, which, you know, a lot of people would say is the intention of call-out culture or cancel culture. But there is a difference between the two. And uh, it's hard to know where to draw the line Um, and what you call each thing. So the words are used interchangeably for lots of different things. As you spoke about Harvey Weinstein, Sam Newman, or um, people who've committed crimes, you know, of course we should really take that information seriously and consider our actions, whether we, you know, stop watching, consuming, you know, Mm -hmm. adding to a person's fame or notoriety when we know what they've done. And that's really serious and that's where... And also buying their products or listening to their, their products, products gives yeah. them money. Exactly. And it is hard. It's a definitely blurred lines, Grace, which is <laughs> another song that people wanted to be cancelled. <laughs> but 
<laughs> but it's just such a great song. People just feel so like muddy about it, same as Michael Jackson's songs. Um, and Ignition. It's so catchy, but <laughs> he's a rapist. That's R. Kelly. Oh, that's R. Kelly. Yeah. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Ignition's cancelled, Miranda. Ignition's cancelled. Well, I'm deleting that from the playlist right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think that it can be quite damaging um, because of the ability to have mass pile on and mass critique with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. To cancel someone feels quite a stop talking, you've got nothing relevant to say. And it can be used for people's just varying opinions. And I'm all for free speech. People, I think people do need to say what they think. But And if you get called out for it or you get criticised, then you need to acknowledge that. And as a, as a public figure, yeah. re- rebut it, explain it or apologise. Like and as a public figure as well, you know that what you put out there is going to be read by people. The price you pay for being famous. Exactly. There's a really big difference between um, public figures that know they have millions of people listening mm-hmm. and just everyday people who did a tweet that then became famous. So that's the first example I'm actually going to talk about. And ha- there's quite a famous book um, called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Mm. And he talks about a lot of examples of just sort of everyday people who sort of made like a bad joke mm. or something that only their 100 friends on Facebook saw. So it's kind of fine, except then suddenly someone leaks it to the media and it becomes Viral. a front page news and they lose their job and it ruins their lives. And I think... Those cases are really harder because they really weren't public figures. They weren't trying to put something out for thousands of people to read. So there's a really famous one about a woman called Justine Sacco. So she was a 30-year-old communications director and Mm -hmm. she was going to visit some family in South Africa. And her whole way on her various layovers, she was making all these like kind of lame jokes on Twitter. So her first one was like, Weird German dude, you're in first class. It's 2014. Get some deodorant in a monologue as I hail Bio. Thank God for pharmaceuticals. <laughs> <laughs> and then at her layer over in Heathrow, she tweets, cold cucumber sandwiches and bad teeth. Guess I'm back in London. <laughs> like, just whatever. She only like had whatever. 170 followers. Who cares? And also, like, yeah, 2014, I feel like six years ago, people just, like, live-streamed their public, their um, stream of consciousness a lot more. Yeah, they would just, you know, like, they put were, their thoughts. And now just their, like, her little random thoughts. Yeah. And then while she was at Heathrow, she did one more tweet. Going to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding. I'm white. <gasps> and she... Yeah. Do you not know this one? No, I haven't read the it's book. It's so famous. No. Okay. So that's what she tweeted. And then she wandered around the airport for two more hours. Nobody replied to her tweet, which didn't really surprise her because, as I said, she only had 170 Twitter followers and she was tweeting like every five minutes. So her friends probably felt like they didn't need to pity like all her tweets. They could just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no one replied. <laughs> Nobody cared. <laughs> that's right. She gets on the plane. It's an 11-hour flight. And she gets, like, she, you know, watches movies, has a meal. And as soon as she lands and she turns her phone back on, she gets a text from someone who she hasn't spoke to since high school, which says, I'm so sorry to see what's happening. And she's like, what? And then another text from her best friend that says, you need to call me immediately. And then suddenly her phone just was exploding with all these notifications and texts. And she's like, what the hell is going on? And then Mm. her best friend rang her and said, you're the number one trending item on Twitter. So basically, during that 11-hour flight, unbeknownst to her, basically over that 11 hours, this whole cancellation thing unfolded. And the trending Twitter was, has Justine landed yet? Because basically she'd been fired. They all knew that she didn't know. They all knew she'd been fired. Her company disowned her. Um, all in that 11 hours. All in that 11 hours because 11 hours is a long time not not to delete it and not wow. to issue an apology. 11 hours is actually a very long it time on the internet. It is a long time. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Sorry. God, this could be a movie. Do you reckon I'll make a movie about this? I mean, maybe, but basically like 
she was a very hated person and mm. she was going to Africa to visit her family and they were like, you know, we don't stand for this racism. You've kind of brought shame on our whole family now. She'd lost her job. Like her whole name was everywhere and she said she just cried her body weight in tears during the first 24 hours and eventually just like cancelled her holiday and came home. Oh. But I guess when you ask like what's been cancelled, basically they wanted – her to lose her job. They wanted all this stuff taken away from her and it all happened. Wow. That's horrible. That's so horrible. So what happened next? What did she do next? So the guy who wrote So You've Been Publicly Shamed has met up with her a few times. So he met up with her first three weeks after this incident. And at the time then a lot of people were saying like, you know, you'll look back on this and realise, like, you learnt so much and it was one of the best things that ever happened to you. She's like, no, it's not. Like, this is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and she was, like, going to, like, collect all her things from her drawer. And then a few months later she kind of was like, no, like, you know, I can't just let this be my story. Like, I need to go and do something. Like, I'm, I'm going to get over this and, like, become okay again. Right. What, um... What was interesting about this one, so I mentioned she only had 170 followers. So the way this went viral was someone actually sent it as an anonymous tip to Gorka. Whoa. And then a journalist at Gorka tweeted it to his half a million followers. And he has also been interviewed in this book and he kind of says – Basically what we were saying earlier about if you're a public figure, then you have to take some responsibility that your things will be read by lots of people. And he was saying she's a publicist, so Mm. therefore she is fair game. She knows, like, you know, about publicity and public relations. And so he kind of justified it to himself. But very interestingly, a few years later, this editor had his own public shaming scandal and he ended up writing her an apology letter. Oh my god! Wow. I mean, it is—it's so destructive. It's so destroying. Um, my example that I'll be talking about is someone who I have listened to, read for years, the lovely Mia Friedman. So Ooh, she's been cancelled a few times. She's been asked to be cancelled all the time. Like, but <laughs> so talk to me. Remind me. So there's. There is one main scandal, but I'm going to just give you a couple of things that she has done over the years um, that people have critiqued um, mm. and and the damage that's been done to her, um, but also what she's learned from all of these uh, criticisms. So one was a very unfortunate and tone deaf um, hashtag that she created, um, which was hashtag marriage, married for marriage equality. And it was a picture of her holding up her um, ring finger, hashtag married for marriage equality. And and she said, I'm married, I'm straight, I vote. Do not dismiss this as a gay issue. I feel the same way. Like take a photo pointing to your wedding ring, post with the hashtag. So, yeah, well-intentioned but... mm. Needless to say, it... It, it just didn't land well, but the intention yeah. the intention was good. It just didn't work. And there were some really uh, prominent ones that came out afterwards, which kind of mocked that tweet, which was hashtag fed for hungry equality. Um, <laughs> yes. Hashtag Fabergé eggs for fighting poverty. <laughs> hashtag legs for amputee support like it's just yeah all of that these. pretty much illustrates it Quite it's illustrates. about privilege and marriage equality wasn't legal back then so a it married wasn't. person saying that is no. just like ee. yeah like i i get it. it it didn't quite land well but mia friedman ha- what i love about her is that she's never she always is honest. She always owns up to something if she believes it's wrong and if she puts a foot wrong, she'll apologise. Um, so basically... Yeah, I don't really remember that happening. So That was just a like little... She, that was a, one of the she, smaller ones, but yeah, okay. it did. Yeah. And she said if I inadvertently... But there was... There was outrage, you know. She w- she had to make public apologies. She said... She's quite a polarising figure. A lot of people don't like her. But like... 
oh, why? You know, I just think that yeah. she's so in touch with herself. I think that she apologizes, she learns, and that's so positive in in life. Um, anyway, so she said, totally. yeah. if I inadvertently offended anyone by calling for legally married women to raise their voices in support of those who can't legally marry... I unequivocally apologise. Um, and mm. she actually was contacted prior to doing this by the Australian Marriage Equality AME um, to do something public for marriage equality. And then she was like, what about if I do this? And they were like, sure. Anyway, then obviously there was this huge pile on. Um, they basically just like said that she's great. You know, she doesn't deserve the pile on. Yes, maybe it was a little tone deaf, but she's awesome. And yeah, that- and I think that's the whole thing about cancel culture as well. It's like you're cancelled, therefore everyone in the world thinks you're cancelled. It's like obviously everything's more complicated than that. And like is that the only thing she's ever had to offer? Like she's created mm. so much awesome and done so much awesome work in her life. Like why does she... Have- Youngest ever editor of Cosmo? Yep. Like why does she have to be ridiculed for this one thing that, again, she even she said, oh, you're right. It, that was a bit tone deaf, you know. It's like Jesus. That's not that bad. I get it. She made it. She made an error, but she doesn't need to be cancelled. Like, but she she is a public figure, and you should be held to account if you're a public figure. But I will say, women get held to a much higher standard because Absolutely. what she said, she was trying to make quite. She wasn't. Yeah, she was trying to make a reasonable point, and she said it wrong. Whereas mm. it's taken twenty years to finally get rid of Sam Newman, mm. and like you know, whereas anything a woman says people are much more yeah. quick to criticize and hold them to an impossible right. standard to always be articulate every single time exactly so the biggest one that happened to poor mia was um after she interviewed roxanne gay who's yeah. a famous feminist and wrote um a fa- the really famous book bad feminist um yeah so she's the one i remember yeah so because i've listened to mama mia for so long i actually listened to this interview on no filter back in 2017 and wow. yeah and um i don't remember like all this stuff happening but then i remember there was like someone was talking about something I, I wasn't great at the socials at that point and not reading the news and everything. oh did you miss this whole scandal back in the day i missed the whole scandal but i sort of heard something a whisper about it but i didn't understand it anyway so i sort of went back and i was like oh so what happened is as she was at least in- if anyone gets cancelled you'll still like them you've missed it all <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> we just totally missed it so um basically she um she had Roxanne as a as a guest, um, and there was talk with her pub, her people, you know, before getting her on. Um, as she's a larger woman, and um, basically Mia thought it would be a good idea to sort of unveil, you know, like shine a light on how how tough it is for um, big women to get around and like. Something is- that's important to note is Roxanne Gay was actually promoting a book about her body. So it was actually on topic as well for the interview. Yes. Sorry, that's right. Because she'd written Bad Feminist, but her next book was Hunger. Yeah. Yeah. and um, Because that's what Mia sort of said at the time in defense of herself after she hit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so she, what she did was these producers or these um, publicists were kind of like, how many steps are there into the studio? Is there a chair? that will um, hold her weight so she can be comfortable and all that sort of thing. Just all these things that people just don't think about, um, you mm. know, and the challenges that she might experience. But this was never consented to be, like, published. And yeah. um, anyway, so it caused a huge shitstorm. Um, Roxanne was outraged. People were so upset and Mia was terribly upset as well. So I scrolled back to the No Filter interview all the way back in 2017. And I was like, I don't remember oh. this. How the hell do I remember this? And I I missed it because it, it's been updated because I listened to it like as it dropped. I think the, oh. the week after they updated it. And so there's a big updated intro from Mia saying, um, you know, what I – what I did was a breach of privacy and all those sorts of things. I'm the fact that I could have offended somebody who's an absolute idol of mine, uh, especially around body image um, and to have caused any angst for this person who I absolutely admire. I am absolutely ashamed and I sincerely apologize. Like she just, she bloody owned it. 
And she has said that at the time. She, like, came out with an apology straight away. And the thing that I love about Mia is that, no, she's not perfect. And, sure, she's got some differing opinions. Um, but, actually, if she's ever argued with, like, on the podcast that um, I out loud that I love, they discuss things and they will push her points and she will sometimes change her mind. And she's so open to it. She's so open to be self-reflective, to learn more. And I think that we do need to give so many more people who uh, who the public want to cancel, we just need to give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes that maybe they could learn a thing or two, that not every opinion is their best opinion. Um, you know, and if you're a public figure, you should be held to account. I do believe that what she said was wrong and a breach of privacy for Roxanne Gay. Mm. But I don't think she deserved this horrific pile on that didn't end for a long time like she was pretty devastated by the whole experience you know it was awful yeah I actually do remember her at the time I think I read something she wrote at the time about how visceral her reaction was yeah to that and someone else who's been cancelled who I haven't brought up lately but it's incredibly relevant so Taylor Swift was cancelled what um yeah Taylor Swift was cancelled when um, Kim Kardashian released the tapes that Taylor Swift had apparently lied about <gasps> yes, something. Yes, the snake. And it was hashtag Taylor Swift is cancelled party. But now mm. that Taylor is sort of back and just owning everything that's ever happened and proving that's everyone right. wrong, she's actually come out talking about the experience of what it's like to be cancelled as well. But what Taylor Swift has said is that a public shaming with millions of people saying you're quote-unquote cancelled, it's a very isolating experience. I don't think there are many people who can actually understand what it's like to have millions of people hate you that loudly. And when you say someone is cancelled, it's not a TV show, it's a human being. You're sending mass amounts of messaging to this person to either shut up, disappear, or it could be perceived as kill yourself. It's kind of just awful what can happen. I think some... But then sometimes I do agree with it if something is bad enough, you know. Like, exactly. And I think the, I think that really has to just be crime, you know, <laughs> like crime or super super racist, um, outward, unapologetic, no clarifying statements. People I think deserve to be critiqued, you know. And whether yeah. platforms want to put their posts up or not is up to them. But you know, this pile on this degrading, horrible, nasty comments that people get after, you know, one thing that they might have put a foot wrong. Oh, it's just awful. I think, yeah, what you're saying is right. And for me, I think how I look at the key difference is I think it's very healthy that we're able to challenge ideas publicly. And I think a lot of the Black Lives Matter movement and getting Sam Newman mm, fired and stuff. So true. That's really important and we're challenging ideas in the public domain. But I think where cancel culture becomes really toxic is when it becomes about people and when it becomes about trying to expose people's personal details, make them lose their job and it doesn't. Because we should be saying to people, your ideas are outdated. I encourage you to learn why they're wrong and, you know, get better ideas instead of saying you as a person are cancelled. Yeah, exactly. And you deserve to not be able to put food on the table, you know, because we don't yeah. agree with you. And shaming people is not going to help them change their minds. No, it just causes just horrible angst. But then, you know, it does get murky. It has definitely has a place. And I think it can be important for the public discourse in some instances. But also, I think as a society, we can do a bit better as well Absolutely. and try to keep conversations constructive. And Absolutely. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> well, I think um, I think that's that's enough smart stuff. And um, you please know, don't cancel us. Please don't cancel us. <laughs> Once <laughs> we discuss our next topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dino erotica. Here we come. Themed erotica. It's not your average category, but <laughs> it, no. is a, it is a subcategory of another genre, which I will dive into. So I'm unsure when it exactly started, like what year it started becoming popular, but I was reading an article on the cut about some of the first authors of some books that um, featured dinosaur erotica. So the two people are Alara Branwen and Christy Sims, who met in college in Texas. 
So Alana was working at a supermarket and Christy was a tutor until they discovered how lucrative erotic fiction about women having sex with dinosaurs could be. (laughs) (laughs) So basically they were thinking that they could write their own erotica. So they searched all about online publishing platforms that were available at the time. So it started with monster porn, which is a very large genre of the erotica world with many, many sub-genres. So I'll give you a few examples of monster themes, titles, from author Christy Sims. (laughs) One is a were-tiger in heat. (laughs) Like a werewolf tiger? Yep, I'm guessing, I'm guessing. Oh, God. Mounted by the Gryphon. Which I don't know what that is, but it, there's Griffin. I think that's in Harry Potter, oh. isn't it? Is it like a bird? <laughs> by the Griffin and captured by orcas, which oh. seem, <laughs> which are actually not the whales. It's O R C S, orcs. Oh, like um, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, because there's a picture. I'm looking at a picture of a green Hulk-like man on the cover. Um, so I'm guessing they're yeah, like orcs, like these kind of monster guys. Well, so, I mean, captured by orcas is great bloody karma. Absolutely. <laughs> someone, someone can write an erotic fiction about that. Um, yeah. So um, as I wanted to do some more investigating, I went to um, the popular publication Wikipedia um, for yep. my information. <laughs> so despite being called by some in the media the Kardashian of erotica, the genre's genre's titles have generated sales and media interest like so much so these women like had this idea um in the article the woman talks about and she says I was just walking down the street I was feeling a little burnt out I couldn't think of any ideas and then I just sort of had this fleeting thought about Jurassic Park and like dinosaurs trying to take a damsel in distress or something like that. And she just pissed herself laughing. And so she was like, I'm going to tell my friend about this. And That's actually amazing. Could this actually work? And they had such a good time writing it. But then it just did so well and they've made a lot of money. So the works uh, of dinosaur erotica tend to be self-published short stories and often focus on common themes such as prehistoric female hunters who save their tribes from th- from threatening male dinosaurs and having sex with them. <laughs> so Clarissa Smith from the University of Sunderland, um, who co-edits the journal Porn Studies, di- she says dinosaur erotica is essentially an appeal to our sexual fantasies. So the idea of having sex with a dinosaur is outside the realms of possibility. It's like magic. So where all the rules become suspended and for that reason it may well allow for imaginative risk-taking, impossible in standard couplings. So that's kind of her theory about why people are compelled to go towards this area. (laughs) Yeah, well, Alara Branwen, who you spoke about, I read an interview with her. Yeah. So she's one of her, along with Christy, started writing these. So her theory why people are aroused by dino boning. For dino boning? Dino boning. <laughs> she said, I think it's because dinosaur erotica appeals to our more base kinal desires, like the idea of a big, powerful, massive male roughly having sex with a smaller female. It's like an alpha male thing. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also kind of like there's all these other subgenres of monster porn and I'm not sure if I'm in the right category here, but alien, maybe alien porn. So there's Yeah, a, well, a I've heard even King Kong. It's not porn, but it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's tentacle porn is a huge one. <laughs> so, mm. yeah, literally I'm looking at a cover right now by um, Alara Branwen who's written a book called Tentacle Trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And another one beside it, Hunter's Honey Bunny. <laughs> so it's just like... When I looked up these Christina Lara girls, I just pictured in my mind that they were like 40, but they're in their early 20s. Yes, they are. They are. And inter- really interesting. Interesting fact. Um, in the interview, uh, they asked them, are Alara Branwen and Christy Sims your real names? And she said, no. <laughs> Those are just our pen <laughs> names. Do you honestly think we would publish this crazy stuff and write under our own names? <laughs> and the article the article writer said at the end, like just in this little, um, you know, uh, PS, 
pen names. Though I definitely spoke to the writers of the above books, I can't verify biographical details. They could, in fact, be dinosaurs. On the internet, (laughs) nobody knows if you're a horny triceratops. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So good. So did you come across some good titles? I did. So I wanted to see where it all began with Christy and Alara. So I looked up one of their seminal classics in the Velociraptor's Nest. Yes, I've seen which that one. You, which you can purchase on Amazon for $3 for your Kindle. Really? Yes. <laughs> and so the publisher's note at the start says, Warning, this is a tale of beast sex. This story was written to unlock your darkest fantasies and innermost desires. <laughs> so basically the plot of In the Velociraptor's Nest is there's a cave woman called Azog who is underappreciated and her cavemen tribe are kind of like assholes and she has to prove herself that she could be a hunter so she goes out to search for some meat and she <laughs> finds a nest of baby velociraptors so she's like awesome I'm going to kill them and bring them back to my tribe but then their velociraptor dad shows up and he blocks her way quote Azog must use all of her womanly wiles to get out of the cave, which includes doing things she never dreamed of. (laughs) So this was published in 2013, and it's 27 pages long. Now, I could read you an excerpt. However, instead, I have organised for Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard from Jurassic Park to read it for you. Oh, my God. Azog stood back to the wall, clad only in the damp buckskins. Waiting for the beast to slash at her torso until she lay helpless and bleeding on the damp cave floor. This is so sick. She wondered if it would kill her first or if her limbs would be sliced from her body if the beast gorged on her. Instead, it reached out with a clawed hand to snatch at her damp animal hide as it clung to one shoulder. Damp, that's the worst word. As Og felt the kiss of sharp claws against her skin, as the hide slid from her shoulder and exposed a naked, heaving breast. How do you feel? Kind of oddly turned on. <laughs> this <laughs> works. Hey, Azog, look me up. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I can't believe I haven't seen that clip before. <laughs> no, neither had I. That's fantastic. Chris and Bryce didn't read my favorite bit. Okay. Which is... Please, Um, go on. Suddenly, Azog understood what she'd have to do to survive. She offered her body naked and yielding, sweaty and raw, moist, hot and wet, as sacrifice to the beast. Perhaps if she pleased it, she'd be allowed to live. If not, she would leave this world the way she entered it, naked and screaming. (laughs) (laughs) These... People writing this must just be having the best goddamn time writing it because it's so funny. But at the same time, like when you read it and everything, you're like, sometimes it's general enough that you forget that they're dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then they say something like that and you're like, nope, nope, uh, this is nope, dinosaur. This is dinosaur what? porn. <laughs> What's your favorite story you came across? So another good one that I came across, a great title, is Dino Park After Dark. Ooh, <laughs> a bit of rhyme. Sims. Yes, and it kind of just reminds me of like, you know, a play on like Survivor After Dark, Big Brother After Dark, like Geordie Shaw After Dark. <laughs> it's just totally like because you've got the Dino Park, which is like your well-behaved dinosaurs, but After Dark, that's when it gets really that's sexy. Right. That's right. That's when they all come out. So <laughs> the synopsis, Dino Park houses the new dinosaur beasts created by scientists from residual DNA. The park is open to the public who come to see the big carnivorous and the classic well-known herbivores. Smaller, gentler dinosaurs perform for the public. Maria trains the marine reptiles. She's been working with the same plesiosaur for more than three years. He's friendly. So what is a plesiosaur? Is that a fake dinosaur? No, it's a real real dinosaur. The plesiosaur? That's I thought maybe they're trying to say pleasure. I don't remember ever knowing about a plesiosaur. Yeah, they're like the little, yeah, a lot of dinosaurs. Yep. <laughs> Maria trains the marine reptiles. She's been working with the same plesiosaur for more than three years. He's friendly, well-trained, and greedy. 
<laughs> One night, Maria stays late to feed her plesiosaurs and disaster strikes. She tumbles into his pool. The plesiosaur isn't just greedy, he's hungry. <laughs> The only one of oh the only one of his kind. He's been lonely and amorous for years. But yeah, well, that's just cruel. Get him a friend. Yeah, exactly. But now Maria, the human he's imprinted on, is in his element, and he's got a lot of pent up frustration to work out. <laughs> oh God. And one of the funniest quotes from the from the story is this one. Maria thought that perhaps the creature was going to lift her up from the water and save her. She felt a bump from behind. Holding the platform with both hands, she kicked and kicked until her pants, along with all of her panties, slipped down her legs and joined her shoes at the bottom of the murky water. And then she says, it was big, bigger than any man. Oh. <laughs> that one's creepy. That's a little bit These creepy. dinosaurs are really rapey. They are. Yeah, well, they're all rapey, Grace. The dinosaurs. They can't communicate yeah, with the right. humans. That's the whole <laughs> vibe. Actually, I'm pretty sure there's one that's like, he's a business. They get separated. It's like a gay one. And they like get separated. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of um gay business themed ones. Yes. So So this one is called Billionaire Dinosaur Forced Me Gay. Oh god. So this clearly was written a while ago because the synopsis says the year is 2014 and dinosaurs have gained control. <laughs> so this must have been written substantially before 2014. Yeah. Well, I don't think dino erotica is that old, Like, but it might be like 90s, maybe? Yeah, 2000s. Because these women are quite young, the, first, the very first those, authors. Those women were releasing theirs in 2013. This is, um, so there's another very prominent erotic fiction author called Chuck Tingle, and his speciality is, yeah, the gay dinosaur erotica. Mm-hmm. So maybe he started before the ladies. So anyway, his synopsis is, the year is 2014 and dinosaurs have gained control of the world economy due to exceptionally accurate stock predictions. So it's kind of, you know, semi-realistic plotline so far. After graduating from NYU with a business degree, John is hired to be an assistant for one of the largest trading firms on Wall Street. His boss, the CEO of the company, is highly regarded as the best businessman of the century. So far, like, it could be Fifty Shades of Grey. However, the only difference is his boss is a dinosaur. (laughs) What? Never saw that coming. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. But the quote is actually hilarious. Right. Because of just the deep plot background. Yeah. My father never liked the dinosaurs ever since they began taking control of the world economy. When I was growing up, he tried to condition me to hate them too. I never did, though. I thought they had just as many rights as we did. (laughs) They shouldn't be punished because they had extremely accurate stock predictions in the 80s, becoming the single leading force of Wall Street presently. That, I feel like, is just so much more information than we need for this subject matter. Yeah, exactly. No one thinks like that in their internal monologue. This is also hilarious. I was grateful that Mr. Anderson, they've written in brackets, a dinosaur, was going to take a chance on me and let me be his assistant. So it's like clearly excellent writing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, they're just so they're f- so funny. Some of these titles um, and plots. I read a hilarious just little fact from again Christy and Alara. Yeah, they said the T Rex is sexually frustrated because his arms are too short to reach between his legs. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these titles are just absolutely fantastic. Um, I'll go through quite a few of them with you. So there's one called Taken by the T-Rex. <laughs> Aww. Yep. Ravished by the Triceratops. <laughs> Taken by the Pterodactyl. I think we're sensing a theme I'm sensing here. a theme. Yep. Uh, the one that you talked about in the Velociraptor's Nest. We've got My Billionaire Dinosaur Forced Me Gay. We've got yeah, a classic space raptor butt invasion. We've got mating with the raptor. We've got Dino Ooh. Park after dark. We've got yeah, yeah our favorite. We've got Spinosaurus wet dreams. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. fantastic! They're just they are hilarious. I mean, 
The thing is, they're not erotica. They're comedy. There's nothing erotic I about any I disagree with these. you. I think there is. Like, some of these, like, sex scenes, like, as I said, they sort of, you forget that they're dinosaurs. Like, I think sometimes, or, or you do think that they're dinosaurs, but they're, like, humanoid splices of dinosaurs because it's all fantasy. And, you know, it, it, this works for people. And, you know, if it That's true. I don't want to yuck anyone's yum. You don't want to yuck anyone's yum. You know, if it works for people, it works for people. And if you want to, you know, read about um, a triceratops, you know, ravaging, you know, a damsel in distress, um, trying to save her village, then go for it. (laughs) It's not like it could happen in real life, so... Well, you never know. They might be able to clone the DNA of someone, like in Park After Dark. (laughs) Yeah, Dino Park After Dark, exactly. (laughs) Did you have any favourites? I do have a favourite. It is, well, a close second was Gay T-Rex Law Form Executive Burner. (laughs) Such a good one. (laughs) But my favourite that I couldn't go past was My Billionaire Triceratops Craves Gay Ass. Yeah. It's just so good. (laughs) So good. So the plot is... Okay. Jeremy was never quite sure about his feelings for Oliver, his gay pet dinosaur. (laughs) Until Oliver scores big and leaves home in pursuit of his dreams of being a dancer. (laughs) So already fabulous. It's got a plot. It's fantastic. But then the relationship between pet or master becomes blurry. So years later, the two of them reconnect for dinner in New York City and realise <laughs> there may have been more to their relationship besides prehistoric pet and master. I love that they met up for dinner. Like, So it was his pet, but then the pet went off and spread his wings and then they had dinner together. To become a dancer. Now a wealthy socialite, Oliver the Triceratops is willing to take another chance on Jeremy. And soon the two find themselves locked in a passionate evening of gay human dino love. (laughs) Now I have three key fantastic quotes. Okay. The dim romantic lighting is enough to make anyone look sexy, but Oliver is clearly aged beautifully. He was always a good-looking dinosaur, but the specks of grey that now dot his scales have added an air of self-assured beastliness. Like, even in dinosaurs, the little grey silver fox is a thing. (laughs) Yeah, I I kind of get it. I know what you mean. Yeah. Okay, here's another great quote when they're in bed. He says, tell me I'm a nasty human man slut. (laughs) Is there dirty talk? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, it's too good. It's too good. And the final excerpt I'd like to share So this is in a scene where the dinosaur is asking him why he doesn't want other guys, why he wants him. Because they don't have your massive Triceracock. (laughs) (laughs) It's a classic. That was a breakout classic. You can see why. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) A classic in the dinosaur subgenre of uh, monster erotica. I mean, look, I don't know how I feel about about it in total. I think it's so funny, as as we've talked about already, um, you know, it's funny to us, but it really does do it for some people and just like lots of different areas of porn, you know, that people might think are funny. It's like, but it, it might work for someone and if it works for someone, then good for them. Obviously, in- I feel like nine out of 10 people reading it aren't reading it for eroticism. Well, I don't know if the statistics agree with you because there are so many book sales of these stories and often they're downloaded to people's computers, to the Kindles and everything like that because they're not kind of like on every bookshelf, you know, it's a sub. Imagine checking that out at the library. (laughs) Yeah, could you imagine? (laughs) Sorry, Doris. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, Doris. <laughs> <laughs> and like when they return them, you'd be like, I don't want this back. Like you can have it. Yeah. <laughs> that's not clean anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So look, my theory is that people actually do enjoy it. I'm sure that there are a lot of people like us downloading it just for the lols. But um, I do think some people would enjoy this. I really do. Yeah. Monster sure. Different huge. strokes for different folks. Yeah. There's something for everyone. And it's also not necessarily 
as I say, it's like a fantasy about dinosaurs and monsters and stuff. It's so different um, in your mind compared to like if somebody had made a movie of this or something, you know. Mm, <laughs> like It's more escapism, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's so different. And they're like, again, you f- kind of like if you read some of these passages, it doesn't feel like it's a dinosaur. It feels like it's just a person with maybe like a dinosaur head or something, but like <laughs> they're still speaking English and like having business meetings. So it's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's pretty funny. That's definitely my favourite category where they wear suits on the covers. Yeah. It's so funny. Exactly. It, it is hilarious. So good on them. And how amazing whoever actually had that idea in the very first place Just and they're just making money. Yep, $3 a pop on Amazon for, on the Kindle, so totally get on it. And if you need a book for your book club this month, <laughs> why don't you suggest to the girls Dinosaur Erotica? You heard it here first. Exactly, exactly. There's some very high-class titles there. So whether it works for you or not, there's definite Rex appeal to these titles. <laughs> <laughs> that the velociraptor, when threatened, would expand its collar and emit a high-pitched noise to frighten off its predator. So my hero this week is the people who sold Dalesford woman Jan Willis a second-hand car and they put a little surprise inside of it for her. So Jen has multiple sclerosis and she wanted a car that was easy to drive because she gets tired easily and she's also been going through some family struggles with one of her children being quite unwell recently and she did mention this uh, to the people she was buying the car from sort of saying she needed to get the deal done quickly. So as she was driving away in her new secondhand car, she noticed there was something stuck in the visor and it was an envelope with three $50 notes and a card saying, please use this to do something nice for your family. Oh, that is so sweet. So sweet. So she said she's going to use the money to take her family out to a nice restaurant in Dalesford that's usually a bit out of their price range. Oh, that's lovely. It's just small acts of kindness like that are actually just, they're so meaningful and so beautiful. Um, Even like the other day I was in line at my regular coffee place to go grab coffee and the the woman in front of me bought the two of us who were behind her in line um, our coffees for that morning just because. Oh, that is so sweet. Just because she. Did you pay it forward to the next person? I didn't, but I will. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Next time, because there was nobody behind us at that point. Yeah. But, um, I was but like, in future, you will in future make I a random will. act of kindness. That's right. <laughs> awesome. And who's your hero for the week? So mine is um, uh, a funny one. It's Generation Z, <laughs> my heroes this week. Mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> They're my heroes on TikTok. Um, So pretty much they're making all these hilarious videos making fun of us millennials because we're now old enough, Grace, to be made fun of. Yeah, I have heard this. Instead of OK Boomer, they're saying OK Millennial. Yes. (laughs) But they're your heroes for this. So funny because there's all these videos and they're like, and millennials in quarantine um, have invaded TikTok and Gen Z are like, um, excuse me, like you oldies, get out of here. And It's actually so true, isn't it? Like we've so- talked about getting it. Uh, and I downloaded it just because I wanted to know what all the fuss was about and especially because of the lighting, what was it called? Blinding lights challenge. That was just hilarious. And um, <laughs> so there's this like there's all these videos um two examples there's one where <laughs> late like um this young woman you know young gen z girl is sort of like you know hobbling over like a grandma over to the camera and it comes up with like <laughs> millennials be like what's this <laughs> <laughs> neck minute um it's like <laughs> they're like getting low with a glass of wine like doing some crazy dance challenge which is just so true and then it's there's- so funny because a lot of people still think millennials means like in your early 20s that's or people what- are like, oh, millennials are on schoolies. It's like, no, we're 30. Yeah, Like same. that's something else. And like 
but I don't know when that happened, Grace. This is like a rude awakening, but it's so <laughs> funny because I'm just like, oh, my God, people are making fun of us now. Like we're too old for TikTok and we don't get it and we don't understand. Like how do you send someone a TikTok? How do you like find the TikTok? Sometimes you can never find these things because it's not like YouTube. Anyway, another <laughs> one was like, um, uh, why millennials shouldn't be on TikTok and <laughs> – it was like just this woman sort of um, awkwardly dancing around an apartment. Um, this is a generation said imitating a millennial. And there's all these captions like, because I'm 30 and I can't dance, I have no skills except drinking wine. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> wow, harsh. And it's so harsh. And, um, Rosie Waterland actually made the most hilarious point about this, which is like when millennials make fun of boomers, they're all like, oh, how dare you? That's so rude. But when Generation Z are making fun of us, we're like, yes, this is hilarious. Like, you got us. You've got us pinned. (laughs) (laughs) And I totally agree. We're just like loving this um, being made fun of. And originally before this was my hero of the week, Generation Z on TikTok, um, my hero was literally going to be cheap wine. So they (laughs) are on point. Have you finally got on the goon train? Uh, Look, I haven't quite got on the goon train, but I did find a bottle of wine that's cheap and doesn't taste bad and it's called Sheep Shape. So get on it. And we're not sponsored by Sheep Shape. Again, we're totally open to it. So that's my um, hilarious and critical analysis um, of the heroes of this week. It's very, very true. Okay, (laughs) time for the country. So my country news this week is on Kangaroo Island, um, a critically endangered species called the Dunnart was found among bushfire-ravaged uh, habitat there. So 90% of this adorable but carnivorous kangaroo um, <laughs> island's dunart was destroyed in January's oh, fires. Yeah. Um, and they actually set up after the fires all these cameras to monitor wildlife recovery. Um, and uh, this man called Mr. Hammond and his partner uh, could not believe that they actually found one. Um, on their screens and there's been all this com- conservation work to protect dunnarts from feral cats, which apparently, because they look kind of like mice. They're like little marsupials. Okay. They're so like, a look little like kangaroo. mice. Yeah, yeah, they're really, really tiny. They're not a kangaroo. They're just a marsupial on Kangaroo Island. Uh, but okay. Yeah. Aww. But um, heaps of conservation work is being done to protect them. At the moment, while the habitat regrows, um, and experts basically thought the species was wiped out. They sort of thought they're gone. Mm. Like that's actually just they're just gone now. Um, and they said discovering the critically endangered animal had that that it had survived was just such a bright spot in very difficult mm. period of recovery for bushfire ravaged residents. And they said it was the best news all year. So Aww, it's just like how adorable, but really sad. But um, yeah. A little ray of hope. But it's like a little bit of hope. Absolutely. Mm. What about you? What's your country Beautiful. So mine is also sort of crisis related, but rather than the bushfires, it's about COVID. So I have an awesome story about a little community called Longley in Tasmania. Mm -hmm. And they have built a giant bonfire in the shape of a little coronavirus disease particle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was not expecting that that's where yeah. you were going <laughs> and they're going to have a big party and burn it when the pub finally reopens wow okay so the giant structure was craned into position on the front lawn of the hotel a few weeks ago and they've said you know we thought if we could burn this dirty big virus it'd be good for people and good for the pub and good for the community <laughs> and along with making a giant disease particle they've also <laughs> built a number of other giant things to add to the bonfire including a giant syringe um. toilet rolls and hand sanitizer <laughs> <laughs> why why would they choose a syringe 
because it's disease, vaccination. Oh, vaccinations. Oh, true. Uh, well, I definitely agree with the hand sanitizer. I will not miss hand sanitizer. No. But <laughs> it's basically just like really symbolic and fun. And they also have this hilarious dial, which looks like the bushfire warning dial. Of, oh, you know, yeah. You know, extreme, whatever. So their dial says, is it time to burn yet? And currently it's turned to nope, but then there's also not yet, almost, and burn it. (laughs) So that's also fun for the whole town just to like see as they get closer and closer to reopening and burning their big bonfire. I love that it's um, set on nope (laughs) currently. (laughs) Yeah, I love that as well. (laughs) That is a fantastic country news story. Gotta love the country for coming up with these adorable ideas, I have to say. Yeah, community spirit is so good. Continually nailing it. All right, what are we going to recommend this week? So my first recommendation this week is the new TV series um, of Rebel Wilson's on Amazon Prime. It's called, yes, it's amazing. Neither had I until um, my friend Candace told me about it. Haven't even heard of it. And it's called Last One Laughing. And the concept is it's comedians, specifically I think about eight comedians that are all put in a room for six hours and I'm fairly, yep, and I'm fairly sure that it's six episodes. (laughs) I've only watched episode uh, uh, one and two so far and the whole concept is that they can't laugh but they're all these amazing Australian comedians Trying to make each other laugh, and it is so trying funny. to make each Rebel other Wilson's laugh. Rebel Wilson's not in jokes. it. She's like oh, that's in so a funny. back room. She's kind of like Big Brother, you know, just in the back room the watching producer. everything as it unfolds. And she's got a yellow card and a red <laughs> card. And if a comedian smirks or they they get a warning, and the game's paused and every the game's paused and everyone can laugh for just that wow. while it's paused. But if they get red carded, they're out. And the last one standing. Gets a hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> which is quite a big prize. Yeah, Whoa. heaps of people are. Is so, there anyone famous yes, on it? Um, or are they kind of like there's Frank Woodley, really, Joel Creasy, Ed Cavalier, <laughs> yes, um, Nick wow. Cody, uh, oh Sam Simmons, Nazim Hussain, um, Susie Susie Yusuf, and Dil Rook. Um, awesome. Jicey, I can't even oh say his last name right. And Becky Lucas. Um, did I say, did I stay, did I say Anne Edmonds already? Oh my God. Well, Star she's started. in it and she's the best. <laughs> it's like, no. All huge oh names. God. It's six hours of their time. Wow, right? they're all and if big I, names. If I could make myself not laugh for six hours and win $100,000, that is the quickest. I'd be out in two seconds, but it is <laughs> you so couldn't. You'd be out in the absolutely first funny because none of them can laugh. You try and watch them <laughs> yeah. not laugh and their faces while they're trying not to laugh are like the funniest thing. <laughs> Sam, um, I do not know Sam Simmons at all, which is probably a travesty. That's awesome. But he's hilarious. So um, I highly recommend everybody to get on it immediately. <laughs> yep. That sounds fantastic. Okay. Mm-hmm. I also okay. highly recommend everyone to get on my next recommendation immediately. So I saw a lot of articles promoting that this thing was coming, but I haven't seen any articles saying it's out and it is out. And what I am oh, talking is about is already? the mini episodes of Normal People. What? They're out. They just Me like s- secretly came out. I don't know why everyone isn't talking about it. So they're just these yes. little short um, comedy videos are. for charity, but they are fantastic. So the first one, yeah, they were both fantastic. The first one is set yes. 40 years from now yeah. um, about Connell and Marianne in the future, and it's amazing. And then okay. the other one is a totally different concept, and Miranda, you're going to love it. So Connell goes to confession okay. to confess his complex feelings about Marianne <gasps> and he is confessing no. to a hot priest from Fleabag. Oh my god. It's like a Fleabag normal people crossover segment oh. episode. <laughs> yeah and then it's just it's they're both oh. really really good so as always I we'll put the links to these videos in our show notes in myself and that I go watch even them. know this already like because I had no idea. 
<laughs> I really want to. I'm desperate to know whether they're together or not together 40 years later. Oh. Inception with the priest as well. Oh, gosh, that's yeah. amazing. I won't spoil well, it for you. And my recommendation, yeah, my next one is much <laughs> less cool. It's um, <laughs> so um, I binge watched uh, this weekend all four movies of The Hunger Games <laughs> again because I haven't seen them in ages. And um, so oh, my friend was up visiting and throwback. we were pretty hungover and we were watching movies and we ha- we unfortunately had watched two terrible movies in a row. <laughs> and we were like, we cannot risk watching oh. another terrible film. So we can only watch something that we've seen before that we know is good. <laughs> so the, hung- yeah. <laughs> the Hunger Games won out. <laughs> For the yeah, anti-recommendations, totally I'm pretty sure some crap film called Fracture with um, Ryan Gosling in it, which you'd think, surely not, and the guy who plays Hannibal Lecter, like they're both in it, yes, and the dad from Twilight, he's in it. Oh. Like all these people are in it and um, the chick who's in Gone Girl, they're all in it and it's wow. the worst and most predictable film ever. And the other one literally wow. doesn't even come to mind. I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> can't even remember what my anti-recommendation is. Like I have no idea <laughs> you can't what remember. it was. It was that forgettable. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, anyway, That's so the movies are fantastic. It's been a long time. Like it's been long wow. enough, I think, if you if you haven't watched them recently, to go back and re-watch them. Um, and they're just so good. Like I've seen the first one numerous times, but I actually haven't seen number two, three, and four again. Like I've only ever seen them when they first came out. So um it's really good. Yeah. Really good little series. They're very sort of timely as well, sort yeah. of like young women uprising against yeah. an oppressive government. <laughs> and a lot of people are like, who is this TikTok generation, you know, exactly. protesting Trump and ruining the Tulsa rally with yep. their generation TikToking. It's like, yeah, and the yeah, generation no, look, raised it, on the Hunger It's great. Games. So if you feel like a bit of a easy, not not too serious, but then also serious in very, like in parts, but it's like action-filled. I feel like it's just kind of like an all-rounder. It's like great, great little series. Yep. Holds its own. Great. Little throwback. It still is, yep, still stands up. Excellent. So my final recommendation has actually okay. already been recommended before on this podcast by you. <laughs> it's love life, isn't it? But I need yes. to reiterate this recommendation. <laughs> Knew it. Yes. It's love life. It's love life. It is amazing. Yeah, I honestly I would go as far to call it so generation defining. Much. Like, It's so good. Yes. It's a lot like girls but less problematic and more Agreed. diverse and more sort of interesting and realistic. It's so good. It's so good. Um, and it's told over a number of years so there's lots of flashback sequences and it's just, again, so realistic. Like there's one scene where she's younger in yeah. boarding school and she's playing photo booth on her yes, Mac. Yes, with those filters. Taking these like yes. really embarrassing photos on those filters. I'm like, oh, my God, Yes. And then the main character also in a flashback oh sequence my God, really? saw Hamilton with the original cast <laughs> on Broadway. Yeah, didn't you oh. notice that? That was when she went to the um, musical That's with her ex. That's right, of course. She's like, I'm going course. to a musical yeah, with my friend. It was seen Hamilton. Hamilton. So I'm just like, I didn't, I don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. But on July 3rd, it's coming and we're all going to see very the original Broadway cast. If we're not sponsored sponsor by Hamilton us, again. Very interested in promo. making this a thing. <laughs> every episode we talk about this. <laughs> yeah, seriously, every episode. But honestly, Love Life, if it you haven't not. watched it, like we said last time we talked about it, the poster doesn't do it justice and it's so good. I think we're going to have to dive into it for a season two episode because there's a Absolutely. lot more to talk about than we have And if we give people right the time to watch it and, you know, we're going to be having a season break. So if you didn't happen to binge it all in like a day or two, just like us, because um, <laughs> we're really busy, um, <laughs> then you've got some time and watch it. It's worth your time. You will love it. <laughs> I just think it's how on point was it grace i just found it every part of it was we so definitely yep, so realistic and yep so recognizable yep absolutely 
we need to go deeper into that for sure. But on the topic of our season break, as you mentioned, so yes, next episode is actually going to be, be our season episodes. finale. It's gone so quick. <laughs> it has gone so quick and it's been so fun and we've prepared another exciting episode for you for our yeah, final. Yeah, it's a big one. So we're going to be doing a big we go on break. take on Big Brother. <laughs> <laughs> obviously the TV show has re-emerged from the darkness <laughs> that we thought was the bin um, of television and it's back, it's re-emerged and we're <laughs> going to be talking about it. And then along with Channel 7's Big Brother, we're also going to be talking about the original mm, Big Brother. Big one. 1984 by George Orwell. So... This novel was written 70 years ago, but it's actually incredibly relevant in our current world of mass surveillance and fake news. So we're going to be going mm, deep on that as well and asking but what we'll that we'll also be discussing, is a reality TV show about people being stuck inside <laughs> that interesting anymore, given that every person in this, on this planet in no. some way <laughs> is stuck inside four walls? Um, you know, join the club. So... <laughs> We'll be doing a deep dive into that next week. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you then. Please note that the views expressed within this podcast are our own and we are not experts. We have done some serious Googling and even some serious internet deep dives, but we are by no means qualified. If you need actual advice, please speak to a licensed professional. We can even help you Google one. 